Omaima Nelson is the most bizarre and sick individual I've had the occasion to meet. No one needs to look to the Dahmers of Milwaukee or the Hannibal Lecters of the screen. A new predator has emerged named Omaima. Welcome to the Brothers in Crime podcast. We are brothers. We talk about true crime. We don't take ourselves too seriously. And you shouldn't either. Happy Thanksgiving, Bob. Are you on drugs? It's not Thanksgiving yet. I just put away my Halloween wig. <laughs> right, but this episode's going to drop on Thanksgiving. Oh, right. Yeah, that whole editing scheduling thing. Well, happy Thanksgiving, everybody in listener land. Today we have the true crime equivalent of a holiday special for you. Yeah, this isn't like Charlie Brown or Mariah Carey, although she can be pretty terrifying in her own right. Today we've got the perfect addition to your Thanksgiving trimmings. Whether you're busy making a big meal, getting the house ready, or cheering on the Detroit Lions like our guy Gino, when, when you need a holiday break and want to drift away to Murderland, we've got you covered. Turkey, the Macy's Day Parade, in the Macy's Day Parade. It's not Macy's Day, is it? No, it's Macy's Thanksgiving Parade. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. In-laws. Yeah, Murderland. Sounds better than all that, actually. Before we go any further, I think we need all the trigger warnings. I'm pretty sure this episode checks every box that has ever been uh, turned into a trigger warning. Bob, you generally do a better job of this than I do, so you want to let them know the deal? Absolutely. Trigger warning. This case has child abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse, murder, gore, and a whole bunch of other nasty stuff. Everything is in here. So this story begins in southern Egypt, near the border with Sudan. Are we on a case about the dude Moses killed? Not quite. It's a bit more recent. Say, like, in 1968, when uh, Omaima Ari Nelson was born. Her childhood was not good, and that's, frankly, I I'm putting it mildly. I, I can't even imagine some of the things that she survived. She was abused by her father repeatedly and regularly in all kinds of ways. And at about seven years old, she was subjected to female genital mutilation, more commonly referred to as FGM. Female genital mutilation, FGM, comprises all procedures that involve partial or total removal of the external female genitalia or other injury to the female genital organs for non-medical reasons. The practice has no health benefits for girls and women and causes severe bleeding and problems urinating, later on cysts, infections, as well as complications in childbirth, and an increased risk of newborn deaths. More than 200 million girls and women alive today have undergone this torture of female genital mutilation in 30 countries in Africa, the Middle East, and Asia where it is practiced. Yeah, FGM is, I mean, it's awful, it's wrong, and it needs to be outlawed everywhere. There's no question the practice is a violation of human rights. Yeah, it's absolutely nasty and, and wrong, and there is zero benefit to it, and I agree, it's, it's horrible. If that's not awful enough, like I said, her dad was, he was a bad guy, and I'm being generous. He was violent, he had a temper, this is like undisputed, nobody questions it. Omaima's parents divorced, and her mom took her to Cairo, uh, but unfortunately, this isn't a happy turn in the story. It's basically a continuation of awfulness for Omaima's childhood. They moved to an area called the City of the Dead, named for the vast cemeteries throughout the city. This wasn't a fun place. Graves were scattered everywhere among the houses. When Omaima turned 18, she met a man from America who was an oil worker. 
And as things kind of tend to do between young folks who like each other, they heated up pretty quickly. Omaima's family then insisted that she get married to the oil worker because she'd been with him intimately and was now going to be basically undesirable to be married in their culture. Omaima didn't protest. She actually saw this oil worker as a chance to get out of the hell that she'd grown up in. And honestly, who could blame her? So they got married, and when his job ended in Cairo, he returned to Texas with his new bride. But it didn't take long for things to go south, and they got divorced. Amima, a teenager from Egypt, grew up in Cairo, was stranded in Texas on her own. She had to figure out a way to get by, so she was occasionally working as a cleaner or a housekeeper, a nanny, and even did some modeling. So reports from different sources are consistent that Amima was friendly with the gentleman. There seemed to be a little bit of variation with the just uh, kind of how detailed this was as to whether this was sort of her meeting men and just kind of relying on them to some degree to sort of take care of her or, or if this was a little bit more nefarious and she was using her looks to run cons on these guys. Now, to be clear, there are definitely plenty of reports that she was playing the fellas. She used different names, including Ishta or Nadia. The LA Times reported that she had a reputation as an aggressive flirt. But, I mean, Bob does too, so, you know. The owner of a place in Chino called Ray and Sandy's Hideaway told the Times that he thought she was a prostitute. And there's another older man from Huntington Beach who had rented Omaima a room and said she was looking for guys to take care of her. She was a con artist. She'd come around every time she needed something, every time she got thrown out of some other guy's home. And we'll get back to that later. He also said that Omaima had pointed a gun at him once when he threatened to throw her out. San Bernardino County Deputy District Attorney James Wentry prosecuted Omaima for auto theft in 1991 and told the Times she likes to do bad things to people she shacks up with. Another San Bernardino prosecutor, Kent Williams, described her, his words, not mine, as, quote, almost hooker-like based on the short skirts that she wore to court. That doesn't make her a bad person. Yeah, we and I, I when I read this, I was like, ooh, that's kind of... Uh, but, you know, 1990... What is this? 1990, 1991, somewhere in there. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure there's just some... I, I just mean people were even less politically correct than they are now. Maybe a little more backward. The whole thing is making me think about... There was a movie with uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt and the older actress lady. I mean, not older, but older than than Jennifer Love. They were both female cons, and this is... Oh, yeah. They would go and, like, you know, plant rings and do or whatever. Yeah, and they, and, and they knew how to dress to get the gentleman's attention and, and <laughs> work their way in and do what they needed to do. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's what it's putting me in the mind of. Only, I guess, she was a, uh, a one-woman show. Not the, I mean, the Omaima was a one-woman show. Didn't have her, her mom involved, it doesn't sound like. I think it was Sigourney Weaver. Heartbreakers is the yes. movie that you're talking about. Yes. So, there you go. There you have it. It should come without surprise then that Omaima met Bill Nelson in a bar and he quickly became smitten with her. Bill was from Texas. He was 56, six foot four, and 230 pounds. That's a sturdy, stocky fella there. Yeah. I mean, talk about feeling protected. I'm sure he wraps you up in his arms and you're not going to be scared a whole, a whole lot. Now, according to the LA Times, this guy had a knack for landing old DC-3s and C-46s in the dead of night on remote airstrips lit with smudge pots, whatever those are. Once, the Mexican Air Force shot down one of his planes on a run back to the U.S. border. More on that in a moment. Now, red was his favorite color and was also the color of his Corvette and cowboy boots. 
and he was known for telling whoppers as big as his adopted state of Texas. According to the Times, he was a rogue and an adventurer who made a lucrative cash business by smuggling electronic goods south of the border aboard an aging fleet of transport planes that he kept at the International Airport in Laredo, Texas. Until Mexico eased its trade restrictions in the late 80s, Nelson profited handsomely and soon owned a small ranch outside of town, a big motorhome, fast cars, and fancy boots. Now, when Bill met Omaima, he was being divorced by Kathy Nelson, his estranged wife. Kathy had filed for divorce in 1990, while Bill was serving a four-year prison sentence in Lompoc for drug smuggling. Nelson was convicted alongside his brother Jerry, several Colombian nationals, and a soccer star from Scotland of conspiracy to smuggle marijuana into the United States from Central America aboard one of Bill's aircraft. The case was highly publicized in Laredo, where Nelson was well known at the local airport, which was the operating base for a group of pilots who smuggled embargoed electronic goods into Mexico. His fleet of these well-maintained planes were a fixture along the runway. He was one smooth pilot. He was damn good. That's according to John Fitzgibbon Jr. These guys would fly down to Mexico at night with their lights out, evading radar. Once, when his old DC-3 was shot up by the Mexican Air Force, he called in his position to the airport. He was as cool as a cucumber over the radio. Now, Bill's attorney said that Bill may have been an adventurer and in it for the thrill, but he was never a violent person. We'll circle back to that in a minute, so just hang on to that little tidbit of information. Bill and Omaima hit the ground running. Less than a month after they met, Bill took her to meet his family and friends in Texas and Arkansas. But on the way, they planned to make a pit stop. Any idea what they might have stopped for on this trip, Bob? All right, where were they going from? Uh, California. And they're heading out to Texas, Arkansas, both, uh, both those areas. Jack in the Box. So that's a, I mean, that's a great guess. I saw. I like to try a good cheeseburger everywhere I go. No, they stopped to get hitched. They, uh, they'd known each other for like a whole, you know, 92 hours and decided, you know, he was like, she's the one fresh off the divorce from Kathy. Well, I mean, that's a great idea. You're getting married when you've known somebody such a short period of time. What could possibly go wrong? Yeah, I mean, he was 56, she's 26, you know, no big deal, whatever. So when they make it out to Texas, Bill's family was, they were not excited about new bride Amima. Remember, Bill had a number of children and even some grandchildren at this point, And some of his kids were actually older than Omaima. Now, despite their reservations, Omaima actually managed to win some favor with them during this trip when she was thrown from a horse while the family was out horseback riding. Hmm. That's kind of an interesting, endearing quality. Something you wouldn't... Well, okay. Hey, cool. Yeah, so she gets thrown off this horse, and it must have been pretty bad. Like, his family was concerned. They thought she needed to go to the hospital or a doctor, at least seek some medical attention to make sure she was okay. Instead, she said, hey, give me some, uh, give me some Advil threw back some liquor and just kept kept riding. Uh, her toughness apparently made them think twice about their initial concerns that this model, who was younger than some of them, had these nefarious motives behind her marriage to their father. Which leaves me to say, always trust your gut. Okay, I can at least see now what the, what the endearing quality was. It was that, uh, okay, she's not some porcelain breakable model here. She may be young and pretty, but she's tough, so maybe that was the endearing part. As far as the always trusting your gut, we, we got two systems of thinking that help us make decisions, and they are uh, very boringly named System 1 and System 2. And System 1 is what you need when you're being chased by a bear, it's the quick thought that your gut just knows right from wrong of what you should and shouldn't do. 
And then system two is where we do our critical thinking and we, you know, weigh and balance and all this kind of stuff. And sometimes we get in trouble here if we try and, and let system two do the work when really our, our gut was right because we're being chased by a freaking bear. Mm-hmm. Even if it's uh, a bear that's kind of moving slow but got us in his sights. I mean, if the chicken smells funny, just don't eat it. That's right. what I'm saying. Right. Now, Bill's family members weren't the only ones who had an opinion on Amima. Bill worked at a place called Cannon Mortgage Company in Tustin, California. This is kind of tucked between Santa Ana and Irvine. And he was a messenger and a part-time computer programmer there, and he did some other computer stuff. Bill's co-workers have described him very favorably. They said he worked hard but still found uh, you know time to kind of joke around with them and would even bring in home-cooked Tex-Mex food. And like a lot of people... They gave him a hard time about marrying the much younger Omaima, but apparently he really just kind of took it in stride and he would laugh with them about it. In the short period that, that they had been together, Bill was always talking about Omaima to his coworkers. He talked about how good she looked and the kind of food she made and how she cooked for him. And he told his coworkers about customs and things that he'd learned from her home country. And this led his colleagues to believe that Bill really was interested and cared about the woman that he'd married even though he'd only known her for, you know, a handful of weeks. Here's your trigger warning. Thanksgiving is about to take a turn for the worst. This one is a bit gruesome. Okay, it's a lot gruesome. So if you ain't into nasty stuff, bow out now. We won't blame you. Yeah, so we're going to fast forward to December 1st, 1991, just after Thanksgiving. It was a late Thanksgiving that, that year. Jose Escovel is just minding his business at his place uh, when a woman that he went out with on a couple casual dates a year ago, back in 1990, uh, shows up at his door driving a red Corvette. Omaima told Jose that her husband had been abusing her. He had tied her up and raped her, but somehow she had managed to get free and escape. And then she tells Jose that, that she hit him with a lamp and had unintentionally killed her husband, Bill. Then Omaima said that she had cut Bill up and put him into trash bags. And this is where Jose came in. She needed his help to dispose of Bill's body. But she didn't expect him to do it for nothing. She offered to pay Jose $75,000 cash in one of Bill's safes and two motorcycles. Bob, you helping out uh, an ex-girlfriend dispose some some body parts for $75K and a couple of motorcycles? Well... Normally, I'd say no, but two motorcycles, not one, two. You know, I'm not saying it's a good idea or that I'm okay with any of it. I just, you need to understand the parameters before you go making decisions. You got to make an, that's that system two thinking you were talking about. Now, given Bill's penchant for flair and, you know, the fact that he drove around a red Corvette, I got to believe these are probably pretty nice motorcycles, so. I I tend to think so as well, and I'm kind of impressed with the, old bill here i mean he's a computer programmer a messenger at this mortgage company flying planes like he was flying planes now he's a felon and but i was impressed that he got this job at a mortgage company as a felon yeah that's impressive so he's clearly just reintegrated really well doing well for himself but this is a man of many talents and the fact Mm -hmm. that he got his cowboy boots matching his car says a lot to me i i'm i'm digging it that is true that is true well, Jose told Omaima that he would help her out. He told her, hey, listen, hang out at my place. I'm going to go grab a truck, and uh, I'll come back. I'll pick you up. We'll go dispose of Bill's body. Well, then Jose left and found a payphone and called the police. <laughs> that ride or die, he was not. A few minutes later, the police show up, and they find a distraught Omaima. They actually beat Jose back to the house, um, so they get there before he gets there. 
They find Omaima, she's upset, and initially police think she may potentially be a victim of some sort because of how she's acting, and they see that she has these um, some apparent wounds on her face, chest, and arms. Uh, but she tells the police, listen, I, I don't need your help. I'm fine. And, and Bill's fine. He, he's, you know, he's certainly not dead. She tells them that he's actually in Florida on a business trip and that she just wasn't sure how to get a hold of him. Oh, of course. <laughs> yeah, right. Now, you remember how I said that Jose saw uh, that she came over in a red Corvette? Yes. You, as you probably guessed, that was Bill's red Corvette. And the police, as they're trying to sort of sort through, okay, there's this lady and she's got some wounds and... This guy says he that she just asked him to hide a body and, you know, all this. They're trying to really sort out what's going on here. Um, and, and they don't have a lot of evidence in front of them because, remember, we're at Jose's place. Uh, they decide to just kind of take a look into the car. And one of the investigators, he sees a, a bag sitting on the passenger seat. And he investigated, looking inside. And then he kind of uses his knife to navigate the contents of the bag so he's not actually touching anything in the bag. And he sees something that startles him so much that he actually drops his knife. Inside the bag, he sees what appears to be human organs. So a coroner's investigator responds to the scene and checks out what what the investigator believes are organs and confirms that they are, in fact, organs. And he notes that there are black spots, which he identified as carbon, on these lungs, which indicated that whoever these lungs belonged to was a smoker. You care to guess whether Bill was a smoker? I'm going to guess he probably was. Yeah, you'd be right. And so at this point, the police now have more questions than answers, but they know that Omaima is not being completely truthful with them. I don't understand, though, why Bill would leave his organs when he went to Florida on his business trip. (laughs) Maybe whatever business he was doing didn't require lungs. I don't know. Apparently. So they send some officers to the apartment that uh, Omaima and Bill share. And they knock, and as you might have guessed, nobody answered the door. So they make entry, and inside they find the place to be a bit cluttered, but, you know, it's like there's some spare computer parts and and different odds and ends that are just sort of, you know, what you would expect in a house that's maybe not, you know, super well kept, but not like the place isn't trashed. It's just they've got some stuff. Uh, and, And there's nothing about the residence that screams this is a crime scene. You know, nothing looks off at first glance just walking through the door. But the more they look around, they they start to notice some potential clues. Very small drops of blood here and there in places that, you you know, you wouldn't expect. Not like, you know, in the bathroom sink where somebody cuts himself shaving, but, you know, maybe on a doorknob and then over here on the wall and then there's some on the carpet. And then they notice that there's some trash bags mingled in with the normal items that made up the general clutter in the house. And inside these trash bags, they find more body parts. And then they find a broken lamp and an iron with hair and blood. But none of this could could even hold a candle to what they found when they made their way into the kitchen. Oh, no. This done burnt the turkey, didn't she? Mm, yeah, it's like uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Yeah. Actually, there's nothing in this case to indicate that the turkey was burnt. In fact, Bill had uh, called one of his children earlier in the day on Thanksgiving Day and had said that, uh, you know, they had had a wonderful turkey dinner, that it was great, and that they were kind of relaxing, hanging out, taking it easy. But no, these investigators, they go into the kitchen, and what they find are uh, Bill's hands, which have been severed from his body, and they're, uh, they're just there on the counter in a fryer, and they've been cooked. And they were being cooked alongside some turkey meat. Oh, no. It does not stop there. 
The investigators from here, I mean, I imagine you walk into a scene and there's some a dude's hands in a fryer on the counter and you probably at that point sort of like all, all bets are off. So they search the refrigerator, which is, you know, like the refrigerator freezer combo thing. And uh, in the freezer section, they see, you know, kind of what looks like just your normal stuff in a freezer. And But then they can tell there's kind of something. So they go past the hot dogs and peas and they find this object that is wrapped in aluminum foil. They pull it out, they open it up, and it takes them a second. They realize this is Bill's head. He's been decapitated. And it was difficult to recognize that it was his head because it has been deep fried. A deep fried head. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, this case is... I was going to tell you, for starters, when you're going in the fridge, if you're behind the hot dogs and the peas and there's something in aluminum, ain't nothing good behind the hot dogs and peas. There's, I, you've gone too deep. There's nothing good back there. But I can say I have never seen a deep fried head yeah, in, in the fridge. That's different for sure. As the investigators make their way to the bedroom... It appears that, based on what they see, that somebody's been tied up. The bed had two posts, which I don't know how you have a bed with only two posts. I feel like it should be four or none, but whatever. So the bed has two posts, and both have been broken. And so they think you know, maybe this corroborates Omima's story about being abused and raped and getting away at first. Uh, however, once police removed the sheet on the bed, they discovered that the mattress is soaked in blood. Completely soaked, all the way through, even down... The box springs are completely soaked. There's so much blood. They immediately then start to think that this is not what they initially thought, but that this is likely the place where Bill was has died, and that this is where he's bled out. This is where he was dismembered, it sounds like. And as far as these posts being broken off and that supporting her abuse story, uh, no, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't think uh, when you have the issue of domestic abuse and then the victim, finally, the response is to take the life of the offender. I, I don't think they're doing all this crazy shit of deep frying hands and heads and carrying gizzards around in the car and lungs and all this whatnot. No, no, no. That's that's not the behavior of someone who has been abused and is self-defending their way out of getting killed and you ain't seen crazy yet <laughs> so investigators then find bill's ankles as they're going through the house and uh, they both have bruising that's consistent with him being restrained now meanwhile during all this right omima's being questioned and her story is all over the place i mean it's really not adding up it doesn't make any sense it, it gets worse than he's on a business trip when she tries to kind of figure out a way out of this um, and she tells investigators that the organs that she had with her in the Corvette were, were actually somebody else's that Bill had murdered and that those were the organs of that other person and Bill had put them in the car. Oh, give me a break. Yeah. She also said that, you know, Bill was a scary, dangerous guy. So, you know, doing their due diligence and, and still I'm sure trying to sort through this and figure things out to their credit, right? They take her to the hospital and they have a, a, a rape exam done. They do a rape kit. They have all of her injuries checked and documented, all that stuff. Now, the rape kit and exam, all that, the, the medical professionals, they come back and they say, hey, there's zero evidence of trauma. There's nothing to suggest um, that there was that a rape took place or, or anything like that. And in fact, after reviewing her injuries, they don't believe that, that her injuries are the result of a struggle at all. In case you're wondering, Kathy Nelson's attorney... And remember, this is Bill's estranged wife who who divorced him in 1990 during, you know, the, he had all the stuff going on with the being a felon and whatever. Um, 
so Kathy's attorney said that that Kathy's never alleged any sexual or physical abuse as grounds for their divorce, in case you're wondering. And the attorney said, as far as she knows, their relationship had been reasonably cordial. But regarding Omaima's injuries, and, and I can't imagine any investigator would be able to spot this at first glance, but upon closer inspection, the, these professionals, uh, I think the medical professionals, the investigators working together, they were able to determine that her wounds were consistent with injuring herself while dismembering a body. If there's something you, you couldn't see until you really looked, and that sounds like, you know, a nick here or there. If you're using some cutting instrument, let's say a knife or who knows, she probably had the electric knife. She's the same one she used to cut the damn turkey. But uh, blood is slippery. It can be sticky or slippery, depending on what's, what state it's in. But you know, when it's fresh, it's pretty daggone slippery. And, you know, she's using a knife and cutting and trying to get through things. These things can slip. Plus, you got the timer going off for the turkey. You're very easy to get a little nick on your, your hand or your, your arm or whatever. Mm-hmm. You don't want to burn the pumpkin pie is what you're saying. Right. Yeah, so with all this evidence in front of her, Omaima's story changes again. Now she tells the investigators that, you know what, Bill is dead, and she knew that, and she did kill him, but are, are you ready for this? The evil voices made her do it. Well, isn't that convenient? Yeah, so after she's uh, booked and getting settled in at the Orange County Women's Jail, the medical examiner went to work, confirming, you know, what we all already knew, that the remains belonged to Bill. And as part of this examination, he determined that there were 25 or more wounds to Bill's skull, that he died a very violent death, and that after he'd been stabbed and beaten to death, uh, whoever did this had, had essentially chopped up the body. Uh, but something about this, the, the way this was done, really concerned the ME. Uh, there was a level of precision and efficiency that worried him that whether... That whoever had done this had done this before. Oh, it wasn't her first rodeo. That was the Emmy's concern. Was this really the first time whoever did this dismembered a body? It, it sure, surely didn't seem like it to them. Um, but that wasn't the last concern the Emmy had. After weighing what they had recovered of Bill, there was still well over a hundred pounds of him missing. Damn. Now, let me point out that Jeffrey Dahmer was arrested in July 1991, just a few months prior. Oh, come on. You're not trying to say she didn't eat, Bill. Seriously. You did not tell me we were doing cannibalism. I didn't sign up for this. I just wanted my sweet taters. Well, it's debatable, and it depends on whether you believe Omaima or Omaima. <laughs> right. Now, the, remember earlier when I said you ain't seen crazy yet? Remember. I was married to Satan's oldest girl for 12 years. I've seen crazy. <laughs> well, we're at the point where if you thought this wasn't crazy, you're going to think it's crazy. In an interview with a psychiatrist, Omaima detailed how she put on, quote, a red dress, red shoes, and a red hat, also red lipstick, before preparing and cooking Bill's rib meat, like the rib meat of Bill. Um, upon digging in at the kitchen table, and this is according to the shrink, Omaima declared, quote, I did his ribs just like in a restaurant. It's so sweet. It's so delicious. I like mine tender. Oh, damn. This is like goodbye Earl or something. Except for it doesn't sound like this guy was abusive. The psychiatrist contended that Omaima was in a psychotic state, you don't say, when she murdered and ate Bill and added that in 20 years of his practice, he had never experienced a conversation with a subject, quote, so bizarre, so psychotic. Well, I got a few chicks to introduce him to. (laughs) 
You know how the Emmy was concerned that maybe Omaima had done this before. Yes, and honestly, that stood out to me when you said about the precision of the uh, dismemberment or disarticulation, because I've been cutting Thanksgiving turkeys for a whole lot of years, and I swear I still ain't figured out how to get that drumstick off without it looking like an explosion. Well, it didn't take police long to find somebody who had almost met the same fate as Bill. Uh-oh. Just the year before, in 1990, she was living with Robert Hansen. And you might have remembered, I kind of alluded to this story earlier. It wasn't for long that she lived with Robert, though. And this was just before she met Bill. You see, uh, basically, he was using her for sex and she was using him for money. And they kind of had this amicable arrangement where, you know, nobody was fooled about what was going on. They were fine with it. Everybody was happy. Oh, that's what you lawyer people call that uh, quid pro quo shit? Yeah, so they had a, a little quid pro quo going on. And then one day she asked him for some money and he said, you know, what you gonna do for me? And the next thing you know... He's agreed to allow her consensually to tie him up, and then he's tied to the bed. Oh, damn. And then she pulled out a handgun and pointed it at him and said, give me some money. Fortunately for this Bob, Omaima did a crappy job of tying him up, so he was able to get free, and then he wrestled the gun from her, took it, and kicked her out of his house. Then she found Bill. Fortunately, her bad knots and tying skills kept him from becoming a shish kebab. But then she found Bill and murdered and ate him. What the hell? Evidence presented during the trial included tales of bondage sex games, decapitation, castration, and cannibalism, according to the jury foreman, whose name, frankly, is just too incredible for me to leave out. The foreman's name was Famous Hooks, and he was from Fountain Valley, California. Famous Hooks. Wasn't that your first gamer tag on I, Xbox? I mean, I, I would have been better than my first gamer tag, frankly. I mm. wish I had thought of it. Now, Famous also said, Bob, you want to read this one for us? Yeah, all I want to do right now is go home and go to bed. You had to see the pictures of the victim. The pictures were bad enough. Yeah, so that was in describing just kind of the toll that the trial took on all the jurors and, and how it was really difficult for them. And yeah, they did the best they could, but as you can imagine, you know, you're just listening to these details, but they had to actually, like, see what she had done to Bill, and if you've never, you know, Bob and I have seen some messed up stuff, and if you're in a field where you, you deal with that, you uh, generally either, you know, desensitize, compartmentalize, or all of the above, and find, yeah, and find a way to get through it. Right, you make ignorant jokes about it on a podcast, and that's how you cope with crazy. But when you know the victim and, and you see these nasty, nasty pictures and think of how this person could do that, it is jacked up. Hmm. Yeah, and I think where I was going to go with that, and you make great points, but um, you know, you take a jury, you take 12 people who are you know random cross-section. Normal society, people? Right? Normal people, like school teachers and you know, retired people and, and all the whatever, you know, just random people who aren't exposed to that uh, on a regular basis. And I imagine it would be pretty jarring to have to walk into a trial and hear evidence about, you know, how she did the things she did and then to see pictures of it. It'd be pretty terrible. But speaking of the trial, Omaima's public defender portrayed her as an abused woman who turned on her attacker. The attorney insisted that Omaima was not guilty and instead was a victim. But the deputy district attorney, on, on the other hand, described Omaima as a predator who he told jurors that she planned to flee the area with her husband's cash, credit cards, and car as soon as she could after the slaying. Oh, if only Jose had helped her. Right? The trial was marked by this graphic testimony about how Bill had been dismembered. 
In testimony that left the courtroom audience transfixed, Omaima told jurors that she stabbed and beat her new husband to death, supposedly to stop him from raping her. And she said that after the slaying, she freaked out, fell into a trance-like state, and spent 12 hours hacking up the body to simplify disposal. Now, speaking of disposal, a neighbor reported constant chopping sounds and grinding in the garbage disposal in the Nelson apartment throughout the night. Mm. Can we just pause there? Like, I, how do you hear that and go like, yeah, whatever. People do strange things, and we've both lived in apartments, and there's a lot of times you're like, why in the hell <laughs> are they making that noise at this hour? But, you know, you certainly don't assume that they're sending the parts of their significant other down the garbage disposal. Mm-hmm. Now, Nelson also, during the trial, admitted to cooking her husband's head, boiling his hands to supposedly remove his fingerprints, and then mixing up his body parts with the leftovers from the Thanksgiving Day turkey dinner to hide his remains in the trash. Ugh. If that's not already bad enough, Omaima also admitted to castrating Bill in revenge for his supposed sexual assaults on her. The evidence admitted at trial showed that Bill's lower body and torso had also been skinned. And you remember how I said there was a good bit of Bill missing? Yeah. Well, during Omaima's cross-examination, the prosecutor asked, quote, We're missing about 130 pounds of Bill. You know where he might have gone? And she responded, Nope, he was all there. The defense's theory was that she killed him, but she was a victim. And they claimed that Bill would fly off the handle if she refused his requests for what they called kinky sex involving bondage, and that he would beat her. She testified to this and further said that Bill told her, I paid for you and I'm getting what I paid for. And she said that Bill sexually assaulted her, so she grabbed a pair of scissors and stabbed him repeatedly. She said that she then beat him with an iron and other objects until he died and then began dismembering the body. But the prosecution argued that Omaima was lying about her claims of abuse. The prosecutor told the jurors that Bill was the victim in this case and pointed to the fact that Bill's ankles had been bound during a struggle moments before his death. Although some jurors believed Omaima's claims of abuse, not all of them did. The jury was made up of eight women and four men. They deliberated for six days before they came back with their verdict. Omaima was only 26 years old when she was convicted on all counts. She sobbed as they were read, guilty of murdering Bill, guilty of assaulting Robert Hansen the prior November. The jury convicted her of second-degree murder, you got any questions about that? I think that's some... Because there's been zero evidence that Bill was abusive to her in any way. If this was an abuse situation, and I'm not downplaying that at all. I know there, there are certainly women that live in horrible situations, and they're abused by their uh, spouse or significant other. And sometimes they feel like, or maybe it is the only way out. But the fact that he was bound, okay, you could say, all right, well, maybe she finally found an opportunity that she could, you know, but if you can tie him up, then what in the hell are you doing? Cutting him up into pieces, deep frying his head, making these finger sandwiches, carting his gizzards around in his Corvette in a trash bag. None of that really adds up to a, a battered spouse syndrome kind of deal to me. I'm not buying it. Yeah, and I also think uh, it's weird that she came to the United States at, at, what, like 18, 19, very young. And then she's divorced from the other guy that she met, the oil worker. Uh, she met, uh, 
where she was from and has to basically just kind of like hit the ground running and figure it out. And she does, you know, she figures out, she finds jobs, she finds work, she finds her way around, she makes her way, you know, whatever. So I, I find it hard to believe somebody, you know, she's probably got some savvy. I guarantee at some point in these interactions with guys at bars and other things, she's probably met some weirdos and some jerks. She had the street smarts to get out. Right. That's, that's a really good way to put it. Thanks. Uh, so ultimately she's sentenced to 27 years to life in prison. And uh, July 2006 was the first time that she was eligible for parole, and uh, she was denied. And she went before the board again in 2011, and that time she was denied parole for 15 years. So they said, you're denied and you can't come back for another 15 years. I'm not really sure why. I couldn't find details on that, but um, that's, that's what happened. Now, in 2022, she filed a petition to advance her next parole suitability hearing date, which was approved. So essentially, it wasn't supposed to be held for another few years. She files this petition and says, hey, can I have it sooner? And they say, sure. So then she uh, had that advanced uh, hearing in March of 2023. And you know what they did? All right, wait a minute. Are we in, we're in Texas now or California? California. Oh, Lord, California. I don't know. I mean, if she could write poetry, then I guess, they, did they let her out? They let her out. No, I'm just kidding. They didn't let her out. Uh, they denied her petition. And she can't refile until 2028. One headline about her most recent parole hearing reads, quote, woman who killed husband and cooked body denied parole, end quote. Something tells me that the parole board probably doesn't want to create a headline on the flip side of that by <laughs> releasing her. Right. At the beginning of this episode, I read a quote from Costa Mesa police officer Robert B. Phillips. He completed a court-ordered sentencing report where he said, Omaima Nelson is the most bizarre and sick individual I've had the occasion to meet. No one needs to look to the Dahmers of Milwaukee or the Hannibal Lecters of the screen. A new predator has emerged named Omaima. She's clearly an awful person. But if you think prison is going to hold her back, you, you're wrong. Why? Oh, no. Don't tell me she got a job in the prison cafeteria. It might be worse than that. While she was in prison, she remarried. Oh, because she's such a catch. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Uh, so the guy she remarries is in his 70s when they remarry, uh, and he, he died prior to her 2011 parole hearing. And details surrounding this man, his death, and all of that were, were very difficult. I couldn't find anything I was confident in reporting on here. Uh, there was some speculation that maybe he had some wealth about him and that potentially some of that had been in one way or another designated, left to, or, or, or given to Omaima, I have no doubt she had an angle, but wow, it's just fascinating to me. And to your point, who on earth says, you know, I'm I'm so desperate for love that Omaima Nelson, who's in prison for hacking up, castrating, decapitating, and eating her last husband, is is the woman of my dreams? I don't know. Yeah, I, I oh, people. Now, according to the L.A. Times, during Omaima's uh, parole hearing. She claimed she was a changed person who had, quote, looked for love in all the wrong places. But now, she says, quote, she has a strong desire to help others. Omaima also adamantly denied eating her husband, saying, I swear to God, I did not eat any part of him. I am not a monster. Right. But when the parole commissioner asked her what the point was to cooking Bill, she refused to answer. 
Hey, thanks for hanging out with us on the Brothers in Crime podcast. Feedback and suggestions are always welcome. For links and resources related to this episode, please see the show notes or visit us at brothersincrimepodcast.com. We hope you'll save, subscribe, or bookmark us on your favorite podcast site and join us for the next episode.